And oftentimes, traditional uh, unimodal analytics approaches might fall short in terms of building complete models of learning. Real-world interaction in physical spaces is multimodal, so we need different modalities to understand how this learning process is taking place. Welcome to Solar Spotlight, the podcast from the Society for Learning Analytics Research, Solar. In this podcast series, we have conversations with guest speakers to engage the wider community with leading research, practice, and key issues in learning analytics. I'm Rogers Kalisa from the University of Oslo, Norway, the host for this episode. In recent years, there has been a growing interest in the field of multimodal learning analytics, which focuses on collecting data from physical teaching contexts by analyzing learning artifacts, traces, and natural human signals such as gestures and facial expressions. However, despite advances in multimodal learning analytics, there remain many conceptual, theoretical, methodological, and pedagogical challenges. Today, we have two special guests, Dr. Kurova and Sambit Prakraj, who will talk us to about multimodal analytics, where we are now, what challenges we face, and how we can look toward the future. So without further ado, I'll invite our guests to introduce uh, themselves. First, Matul. Could you tell us about yourself, your background, where you are from, what your role is, and what kind of work you do in uh, multimodal learning analytics? Sure. Um, thanks, Ajus. I am uh, Mutuku Kurova. I'm an associate professor at University College London. Uh, I'm also currently the editor-in-chief uh, of the British Journal of Educational Technology. Um, I guess in the big picture, my research investigates the potential of analytics and uh, artificial intelligence solutions to support human learning. Within this context, I'm particularly interested in supporting people's ability to learn how to learn um, and solve complex problems collaboratively. Um, Within uh, the, the context of this podcast that particularly focuses on multimodal learning analytics, um, we have been doing research using multimodal data, more specifically in collaborative learning uh, settings, uh, with the three main themes of research directions. Um, first, from a more machine learning point of view, we use multimodal data to increase the prediction accuracy of models. Second, perhaps more from uh, analytics and learning analytics point of view, we use multimodal data as proxies of educationally meaningful constructs in the uh, visualizations for learners and, and teachers. And the third one, uh, perhaps more from a learning sciences point of view, we use multimodal data to generate insights into collaborative learning process. Um, in this stream, uh, multimodal data is extremely valuable because it helps us interpret uh, multidimensional nature of uh, social phenomena like collaborative learning, particularly with regards to affective, uh, regulatory, uh, and behavioral dimensions rather than merely looking at cognition. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, and I think uh, as we move forward, uh, I think we can get even more uh, details about uh, this kind of work. Uh, maybe for the short introduction, uh, Sambit, uh, over to you. Uh, what, uh, where are you? What are you doing now? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Rogers, and thank you, Solar, for inviting me for this podcast. Uh, I'm basically from India, and I 
uh, spent my undergrad in India and then I came to the Netherlands to do my master's and my PhD, which is majorly focused on learning analytics. And then in my PhD, I moved to multimodal learning analytics where we applied, we used multimodal learning analytics uh, mostly in the context of collaborative collaboration. Uh, so the main focus was to detect the quality of collaboration and the indicators of collaboration quality. And after my PhD, I started my postdoc in Germany uh, in education technology and AI group in KAIS and also as associate with the Ruhr University of Bochum in Nicole Rommel's group. So here also I'm kind of extending the work that I left at the end of my PhD where we are uh, where I'm majorly focused on uh, audio signals. So not necessarily multimodal, but uh, audio signals where we uh, want to detect uh, like the quality of collaboration from the actual content of the conversation, like what actually the group members speak, how they speak and uh, what can we infer from that. So for that, basically we use like NLP, natural language processing and other AI uh, different algorithms to detect the quality. And I like to mention specifically one point here is that when I started my PhD, uh, I came across the work of Mutlu and Roberto and Javier because they were kind of the beginners in this field because it's a very new field, multimodal learning analytics. And uh, when I also did my literature review, I gained to like gained a lot of understanding like what is there in this field, what is the scope of this field, where can we reach? So it will be interesting to talk further about this also. Thank you. That's interesting. So we have. Uh someone who is uh, more experienced and was uh, I'm 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 curious about learning uh, multimodal learning analytics being a relatively emerging uh, area even though researchers have been working on this for someone who hasn't worked with multimodal learning analytics how would you help them understand what is the scope what is the what is multimodal learning analytics and how does it uh, differ from the overall or the other learning analytics uh, approach if we can start with uh, Motulu and then yeah thanks Rogers. um I think it's a really interesting question. And, and to be fair, I'm not sure if there is an established definition of the field. Um, quite a few colleagues have been trying to define multimodal learning analytics and where does it fit within the realm of other relevant areas, including affective computing or artificial intelligence in education. Um, obviously, more practically, uh, Multimodal learning analytics research leverages various modalities of data, both from physical and digital spaces, um, and uses computational approaches to process these uh, multimodal data to be able to uh, generate insights into uh, complex learning processes. Um, but more conceptually, I guess, the roots of the idea um, relate to the goal of using analytics to support learning experiences in open-ended, face-to-face, more constructivist learning environments in which the digital learning environment is not the main space for interaction, but rather the interactions take place in the real world. I think this is somehow evidenced in the thinking behind some of our uh, uh, colleagues who have been leading this field early on, people like Paulo Blickstein, and then later on, uh, uh, colleagues like uh, Roberto Martinez-Maldonado, uh, Marcelo Worsley. Um, so in this 
constructivist theories in which the learning is conceptualized as a social phenomenon that is complex, dynamic, non-binary, multidimensional, and it happens where the learner is in situ that would require insights from physical spaces in addition to the digital data, is where the multimodal learning analytics emerged as a researching area. Hmm. And I think that's a very uh, interesting definition. Uh, I don't know whether some bit from your PhD and all your experience up to now, do you have a different uh, uh, conception or understanding of multimodal learning analytics uh, uh, different from what Maturu just uh, mentioned? Uh, uh, I would obviously agree with what he said. Like, I don't have like really something different, but I would like to just frame it in a different way. Like, uh, uh, like as you said, like real world interaction in physical spaces is multimodal. So we need different modalities to understand how this learning process is taking place like to understand better the learning process so 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 in that sense i think we need like for example if you have only audio signal you don't really understand like in a collaborative setting suppose if someone is paying attention to the other like the peers when they are speaking or he is just speaking his side so then if you have like audio and video both modalities then you get a really holistic uh, contextualization of what exact situation like what is happening during the collaboration so in that sense uh yeah like you need like different modalities to get gain better understanding of the situation hmm. that's interesting and i think what i see from uh, both of your contribution is the the multimodality or the use of different modalities to capture understand learning and also the aspect that it may not just be online or physical but it could be from different contexts can be from a physical or online context, but putting together different sources of data and analyzing them to understand the phenomena. I think that's one of the features of multimodal learning analytics. You highlighted some uh, during your discussion, but going uh, back to Muturu, what do you see as the key opportunities of multimodal learning analytics uh, compared to possibly other approaches out there being used? Why, why should someone really be taken or take this kind of approach uh, in studying uh, learning phenomena? Mm. I think um, I was kind of hinting towards um, some of these benefits while I was um, trying to explain how and why we use uh, multimodal learning analytics in our work. I think the main benefit, uh, first and foremost, is that um, multimodal data can potentially help us create more complete models of learning. I think few researchers would disagree with the multimodal nature of learning as the outcomes being influenced by both intra-individual factors like prior knowledge, emotions, motivations, but also contextual factors in which the learning is taking place. And oftentimes, traditional Uh, unimodal analytics approaches might fall short in terms of building complete models of learning, uh, considering these complexities associated uh, with it. And I think interpretations and and support of many of these factors that would influence the the learning benefits from multimodal perspective from a multimodal perspective rather than only focusing on 
unimodal data uh, from a single channel. To me, this is the uh, probably the, the, the main benefit. But I think it's really important to highlight here uh, that oftentimes this argument is taken as if the more the merrier, so we should always bring in more modalities of data, and that always would lead to uh, an increase in, in our models of learning or our prediction models of learning outcomes which is not the case at all. It's more about how do we combine theoretically relevant modalities of data in a way that they would bring in new information for us to be able to make better sense of this complex uh, learning phenomena. There's really interesting uh, uh, research from multiple colleagues showing the benefit, including our own work, showing the benefit of additional modalities uh, in the uh, prediction models and, and learning models. Uh, but there are also quite a few studies that shows uh, it's not about um, the more the merrier uh, uh, con uh, concepts. It's more about a better combination, the two. Um, I can give a few examples of this, but there's a really nice paper um, from colleagues in Norway, um, from Kishit Sharma, that shows the uh, uh, mean error values of their prediction uh, models that aims to predict uh, their skills in a game-based learning environment context in which they show that when they added all modalities of data that was leading higher values uh, uh, in terms of the, the errors of the prediction model compared to a, a, a unique combination uh, of eye-tracking face features and EEG, for instance. Hmm. So, this is the kind of the main benefit. Uh, I can tell a few others, but uh, uh, you would like to uh, time this uh, and maybe invite uh, uh, somebody to contribute uh, here as well, because uh, I'm familiar with his work as well, looking at collaborative learning. Maybe there would be some additional ideas there too. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, Sambit, if you have uh, any other insights building from Motul opportunities where the strength of our multimodal learning analytics uh yeah so uh i think like in terms of uh apart from what you said uh, in terms of personalized learning or giving real-time feedback if you are able to get data streams from multimodal data at such a like like every second or every minute then that can be really helpful to decide okay if every 15 minutes or every 30 minutes during the collaboration uh, if i want to give a real time feedback how can i uh, gather some insights from this and intervene in real time so in a way like it can help for personalized learning and developing real time feedback solutions uh, uh, however uh, during my PhD, like in the beginning of my PhD, I was more focused on the real-time part. And then later I saw like the difficulty in uh, really integrating and aggregating all these data sources and making sense out of the data and also deciding like for whom you are, you want to show this feedback, like we, who is your target stakeholder group, like whether it is the group members or uh, the teachers or uh, the researchers. And so it's a big challenge. So in my at the end of my PhD, I I focus only on like understanding and the post-talk, like what analytics can we gather from uh, the whole data set that we captured. But obviously this 
multimodal learning analytics can help us to reach that stage where we can necessarily give some kind of real-time intervention. So that I think is my probably also one of my long-term objective and also one of the one of the directions that we can go towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's very that's very interesting and and, and possibly along the same line because you just highlighted about all the possibilities and the opportunities. Uh, for example, personalized uh, feedback or learning. And the fact that we can use the different models to understand the phenomena in a better way than using unimodal analytics approaches. But where the where is the challenge? Because I, I think I think you you talked about uh, a little bit about this in uh, combining this feedback and providing uh, uh, prov- uh, providing timely uh, insights to the stakeholders. Could you both possibly uh, reflecting on the on the practice of this uh, field and this approach where? Where are the challenges of actually doing multimodal learning analytics, and possibly how? What are what is your advice uh, in overcoming or dealing with such challenges? Yeah, I I, I mean, it, Rogers, if you do not mind, I would like to briefly build upon the opportunities that I mentioned slightly more before we get into the the challenges because I think there are a lot of challenges and. I really would like to talk about them as well, but uh, it's important not to kind of oversee some other relevant uh, potential uh, opportunities from multimodal data. And I think what uh, Sambit was hinting towards there is a really important point too, particularly with regards to the opportunities of temporal uh, insights into learning, because with multimodal data, we have the opportunity of engaging with high frequency data input that might give us more insights into this temporal nature of, of learning because of the, the high frequency nature of this data. But in addition to these more improved models and, and better interpretation of, of learning, I really would like to highlight that perhaps very rarely and not really mentioned uh, as much currently in the literature is the potential of multimodal learning analytics to allow us opportunities for contributing to theoretical uh, revisions uh, in, in learning sciences about how learning occurs. We recently did a uh, literature review, systematic literature review with my colleague uh, Mihaly Yanakos, looking at the relationship between learning theories and multimodal data. And it, it is true that you know there isn't always uh, an in-depth discussion of the multimodal learning analytics data or findings within a theoretical framework. And most often theories are used to inform the research design or the data collection. Mm. Um, but not necessarily going back to the theories to be able to see to what extent initial hypotheses that were generated from theoretical insights could be improved. But indeed, there are a few uh, pieces of research that indicates this potential of using multimodal learning analytics to improve existing learning theories. And I think one of the really interesting examples here is um, uh, my colleague Dor Abrahamson's work in this space, looking at embodied learning and maths education. Um, So they have been using uh, Piaget's theory of genetic epistemology, trying to investigate how embodied learning theories can be used in addition to multimodal learning analytics to be able to investigate some of the initial propositions of 
these well-established learning theories or, or learning theorists like Piaget. Um, so in their work, they actually challenge Piaget's insistence on the role of situated motor action coordination, which um, um, is an important part of the reflective abstraction stage in Piaget's stages, uh, but their work uh, presents contradictory evidence to these kind of claims. So I think there's a really interesting potential that has been uh, currently underplayed uh, uh, in MMLA research that I think in the future will be uh, a lot more prominent. And last thing I wanted to highlight with regards to the potential is this idea that a lot of the educational psychology or learning sciences driven theories emphasize the intertwined nature of these multidimensional process of learning. So I was trying to mention briefly about the behavioral, regulatory, affective, and cognitive dimensions that would play a role in, in a learning process being studied at individual level, but their intertwinedness. So to what extent what happens in a behavioral dimension influences the affective dimension, by definition, would benefit from a more multimodal approach and multimodal learning analytics. In our recent work, we have been trying to show how these kind of patterns uh, emerge and differ in different collaborative uh, learning uh, groups. And I think there's a really important potential of multimodal learning analytics as well. Um, I'll pass it uh, over um, uh, to, to Sambit maybe to have a go in terms of the challenges uh, or if, if you would like to add anything more. Uh, uh, and I'm, I would be very happy to talk about the challenges as well, but I just didn't want MMLA field or area to be considered only as an opportunity to improve our prediction models, uh, because there is good potential there to contribute back to learning theories and uh, add to the learning theory. I think that's very, that's a very uh, important uh, contribution and and aspect because uh, and I think that's it 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 highlights the 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 value of this discussion because you also talk about the the theory and the connection because this is one of the key aspects, not just for multimodal learning analytics, but also learning analytics as a field where we're still struggling about the connection between theory and uh, analytics. And for multimodal learning analytics, if it provides even more avenue, a better avenue to actually capture the different elements of students' learning and we are able to actually connect that to theory, I think that's a very, uh, very important uh, issue to consider. So yeah, you have been talking about this and, and I think as we move into the discussions, but if there is any, we could possibly get into the challenges of, we, we see there is an opportunity, but where is the challenge and how do we deal with this? This could be technical, it could be uh, theoretical, we have already touched upon this. What kind of issues can you talk about in this area of multimodal learning analytics? Um, possibly starting from Asambit on your side, and then we come back to Otulu. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I just want to reflect back, like, that's a very valid point, because I remember like during my PhD defense, I had a learning scientist. He's kind of interdisciplinary. He works in interdisciplinary field, but that was one of the key questions, like, how does your work contribute back to the learning theories? Like, how can you, what can you infer from what you have done? So I I really agree, like that's a valid direction to take forward. And regarding the challenges, uh, uh, as I mentioned before, like one challenge is about the 
the, the data collection and the integration, like because you have different sensors with different sampling frequencies. So when you decide like how you combine those data sources, that's a big challenge. And uh, I would say, at least from my ex limited experience is that first start with one modality and then see like what information can you gain out of it, depending on the context in which you are using it. And then slowly build, gradually build upon that. Like, okay, I maybe I need video here because of these reasons so for this to happen another thing you need to keep in mind is that before starting the task try to at least have a sketch of what is your design like what are the main variables dependent and independent variables that you are going to take into account in that kind of design so then it will be easier to start with certain modalities and then think about increasing them and uh, apart from that I think going into the feedback part, like I would say like interpretation of the results is still a challenge. There are a lot of works by like Roberto's group on data storytelling where they try to uh, like people have built these dashboards where they try to show certain data in a refined way and how can you make sense out of it. So the interpretation of the results, I still feel we have a long way to go. Like if we want to showcase what is happening in a in a very refined way, like to the group or to the to the members. And third point, I would say I think everyone would agree is like the ethical and legal considerations, which I think I mean there's a lot of progress in that after GDPR and everything, but still it varies from country to country. So you need to take into account like what kind of data you are collecting, who owns the data, who controls the data. So uh, yeah, I, I in my mind, I think these are the main challenges at least. So interesting. Uh, and I think I'll, I'll ask um, Tulu to possibly comment further on that different issues or you have touched upon this already uh what's your view yeah i mean uh, i think some it's really covered well in in terms of the challenges in um methodological dimensions and um, those pedagogical issues associated with the alignment of um, um the learning design with the multimodal learning analytics those issues associated with the assessment structures um and you know the constructs that we sometimes collect data uh, for might be way too far off proxies of the constructs that we are initially interested in. So there are significant issues about the data reductiveness, data representativeness there. Um, so I think Samit really covered the methodological and pedagogical challenges there uh, well. Perhaps I would like to add um, uh, one point with regards to more on the kind of institutional and logistical um, uh, dimension where it is really challenging to get approval and justify uh, uh, the undertaking of uh, multimodal learning analytics research without uh, evidence uh, or indications uh, of impact from the real world. Um, and at the moment, I think as a field, we are lacking in studies that are implemented in real world um, uh, and showing the impact of, of multimodal learning analytics that might be a significant um, uh, uh, challenge. But to me, all these uh, methodological, pedagogical, logistical, institutional challenges are to a certain extent, short-term challenges. And I think with enough amount of funding, uh, with certain amount of time, and as researchers are getting engaged 
in this area, we will be able to address most of these uh, issues to a great extent. But this particular point that relates to ethics dimension, that um, some of these technologies, um, multimodal learning analytics technologies, and their design features are at odds of certain human values. And that there is a misalignment between what these tools by nature impose versus what our current uh, education systems and our social fabric um, are used to and, and, and can take on. Those issues associated with the ethics of the use of multimodal learning analytics. Um, so despite the potential benefits might be really uh, challenging. And I think GDPR kind of regulations are a good start, uh, but they are nowhere near, in my opinion, enough to be able to address those uh, nuanced uh, ethical concerns. So those issues that are associated with um, uh, human agency, issues associated with accountability of actions, transparency, issues associated with bias of these models, fairness, um, uh, equity dimension. Some of these tools and models that we are working on are quite uh, intrusive um, and they have a normative nature of making decisions about certain clusters of people. Um, there are significant issues about their trustworthiness. Um, these are not necessarily points that are unique to multimodal learning analytics by no means. Um, they are valid concerns for learning analytics, but broadly artificial intelligence in, in education and society. But we as educators, as people who have some understanding and expertise in learning sciences can take more of a leadership role to address some of these issues and identify those ethical concerns related to the use of multimodal learning analytics and provide approaches that would increase the awareness of researchers, uh, of practitioners, uh, of uh, other stakeholders involved in, in the use of multimodal learning analytics. This can, in turn, obviously help us move towards more ethical research and practice uh, of MMLA. And the field, the area can contribute to bigger discussions about the use of artificial intelligence, for instance, or regulations uh, that are much more nuanced than GDPR. Um, and I see a great, uh, this is a significant challenge, uh, probably the biggest challenge uh, of the field, um, but uh, it might also be converted into an opportunity if enough amount of attention has been um, put into this. Great insight. So... That's really very interesting and I think very informative to both researchers and uh, practitioners. I think we are, before we end our podcast, I would like to, to invite you to give kind of a, a meta kind of a, a kind of a analysis or reflection on what we have been talking about. Like where do you see uh, the field uh, going? For example, starting from uh, Sambit, like for model to model, like for researchers out there who would like to use model model learning analytics, what message would you give them? So, uh... I will give like two points, uh, not necessarily relating to everything that I said earlier, but kind of the long term thing. So I think like uh, there will be increased accessibility and affordability. Uh, the reason is because uh, of using all these MMLA because of the transition from hardware heavy approach to software heavy approach. For example, when I started my PhD to detect the pose of different uh, group members, we use Microsoft 
connect but nowadays you will see like there are a lot of these cheap web cameras which use open pose and other ai algorithms to detect pose so it's a huge transition that is one example but there are many other examples like during covid i saw in india like in the airport they were using just a dslr to detect using algorithms to detect the heat map of your body to find whether you have a fever or not so if you can reach that level like for example from the web camera only you can capture your uh, uh, physiological signals some of the physiological signals if you see like five six years back they already captured heart rate which is very easy to capture from a camera and now you are already able to do what you do from infrared camera like detect the pose with the only cheap web camera so i feel that with this transition from a hardware heavy approach to a software heavy approach a lot of more people will start adopting it they won't have that initial bottleneck of adopting the technologies to conduct like multimodal learning analytics studies and in this particularly i want to highlight one uh, toolkit which i found very interesting which was published in lac i think in 2020 or 2021 i don't remember there was a ez mmla toolkit which was developed by burton snyder's group in the harvard university uh, that was really interesting they like made a aggregation of different techniques and released the open source you can try it out to detect different uh software level how you can capture different signals uh the second point i would say is like there will be more experiments i feel on understanding the learning processes like what actually happens like as i said like the temporal dimension during learning uh because i feel like uh even in these models uh, in my literature review i found that like for example uh suppose you take collaboration uh we had one uh parameter called silence and there was a model which said that okay if we feed silence as a parameter along with other 90 parameters then it can tell us whether the quality of collaboration is good or bad but we don't really understand whether more instances or less instances of silence means something like we don't really understand the actual meaning of that parameter that indicator so i feel like with the explainable ai with the rapid emergence of explainable ai maybe we'll better understand these models and uh, also can understand what actually is happening during learning so yeah so i would say like these are the main directions going forward interesting and i think you have violated some aspects just like i'm um, to mention that some of the challenges are temporary and as you mentioned there are so many uh, uh different developments coming up that could actually uh, support the field uh maybe mutulu your final comments where are we going what's your uh, message to researchers intending to use this and where do you see the field going I think Sambit highlighted really nice points about the kind of immediate uh, direction in terms of the uh, um, kind of relatively short-term challenges uh, and, and these directions associated with the transparency are extremely important. Uh, so I, I would uh, 100% agree with this. Perhaps um, I, in the big picture, I would really like our understanding of the challenges associated with um, the real world use of MMLA in teaching and learning environments to have improved. And I think for MMLA to stay relevant and become part of mainstream uh, research in, in education and learning sciences, future work should directly address these issues associated with um, impact gap, ev evidence gap at a large scale. Um, and uh, ethical issues uh, associated with the use of these technologies in, in real world. Otherwise, we might have the danger of staying as a small niche uh, uh, 
research area where uh, a few interested colleagues are doing work but not really generating real world uh, uh, impact. Um, we did a systematic literature review a, a few years ago um, looking at you know to what extent the real world evidence exists and, and to what extent we are working towards the um, uh, ethics of the use of MMLA and unfortunately we were not really able to find much. The, the evidence is weak and ethical challenges are very rarely addressed. Um, I think in our systematic literature review, there was only one study that used a randomized controlled trial to evaluate the impact of their MMLA. Um, this work from um, Javier Ochoa, looking at the impact of uh, the use of an MMLA system facilitating uh, acquisition of oral presentation skills. Really interesting work, but uh, nice to see, would be really good to see um, these kind of um, relatively more scaled real-world implementations of these systems in the future. But I would like to end this overarching comment maybe at a slightly more optimistic tone, uh, because I am optimistic about the future of MMLA. I think MMLA will be a large part of the future of learning analytics, and I expect more colleagues to engage with the area in the future, think that it will flourish uh, as, as a research area, um, particularly as we move towards more wearable Internet of Things technologies, uh, those sensor technologies, uh, and move away from screens uh, in learning contexts, then the importance of uh, multimodal uh, learning analytics will also increase. I think there's a really nice um, argument uh, uh, in my mind about the value of multimodal learning analytics. So I think learning analytics should be multimodal because learning is multimodal. There's a very famous quote from... Uh, Gastemich uh, et al. That, that, showed, that, that argues that learning analytics is about learning. And to me, ergo, learning analytics is about multimodality. Uh, therefore, I think the, the field will uh, flourish uh, in the future. Interesting. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for this interesting conversation on multimodal learning analytics. Uh, great to have you on the podcast. At the end of our podcast, we invite our special guest to play a fun game called Two Truth and a Lie. Our guests will share with us three statements about themselves. Two are true and one is a lie. We should find out. Now, Sambit, would you like to give us your three statements for two truths and a lie? Okay. Uh, so let's start with the first statement. Uh, I love cooking so much that I share photos and videos of the dishes I cook. The second statement I was introduced and then started my research in the field of learning analytics by choice. The third statement, I love painting and even have a junior diploma in fine arts. Thank you. Now to Mthulu. Wow, okay. Um, I once cycled from London to Paris, Paris to Amsterdam, Amsterdam back to London in a loop. Um, obviously taking the ferry in between <laughs> the channel. Um, my best funding application was worth 100,000 a page. And the third statement, I cannot swim. Thank you. Answers from our last podcast on explainable learning analytics. So I grew up in a kibbutz, uh, which is a socialist community in which people share with each other most of what they have. 
that would be the first. Uh, I was a welder before I get into studying computer science. That's the second. And the third, I love playing the piano and I practice every day at least one hour. Okay. I somehow feel the third one might be a lie. Kibani, you are amazing. Uh, so uh, you have a system for uh, transparency. The lie is that uh, I love playing the piano. So unfortunately, I don't know who plays the piano. Yeah, just, so I, I picked okay. that one too because no academic's got time to practice an hour a day. <laughs> okay, my first is that I can hear kookaburras from my house, though it's hard to see them up in the trees. The second is that I live a short walk from a park that has koalas, but they're also hard to see because they're up in the trees. And my third one is that I live a short walk from beautiful Sydney Harbour and also from beautiful ocean beaches in the other direction. And the lie is the second one about the koalas. No koalas near our house. Thanks for listening to Solar Spotlight, conversations on learning analytics. You can subscribe to our podcast and find all available episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. A quick reminder, the Learning Analytics Summer Institute will run from June 6th to 8th, 2023 at the National University of Singapore. Registration is still open and for details, visit the Solar website. My name is Roger Skalisa. I've been talking to Muturu Kokorova and Sambit Prakraj on multimodal learning analytics. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please tweet us at Solar Research using the hashtag Solar Spotlight. Until next time. Bye-bye.